Okay, we are in First uh, Samuel chapter twenty-seven. First Samuel chapter twenty-seven, and last time we covered the the <clears throat> the first four verses of chapter twenty-seven. So I'll only read those today, but I won't spend too much time commenting on them. Chapter twenty-seven of First Samuel, reading from verse one. Then David said to himself. Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me any more in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, he and six hundred men who were with him, to Ashish, the son of Maoch, king of Gath. Then David lived with Ashish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household. Even David and his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the Carmelite, and Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. So remember, David had gone to Gath. This is the same city that Goliath was from. This was the city of the people that he fought against for many years. He had gone to, in a sense, back into the world to be with them. And he brought his families and exposed, they brought their families and exposed them to this as well. So it wasn't at all a good situation. Now let's pick it up in verse 5. Then David said to Ashish, If now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Ashish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Okay, so David now wants to separate himself from Ashish, but still be under the territory of the Philistines. And so he is given the city of Ziklag. We don't know if it was just given to him or whether he had requested specifically that city. But that city actually had at one time been one of the cities that Israel had conquered in their coming in, and that was part of the land of Judah, which was very much, uh, uh, you, you know, this was the tribe that, that David was from. So if you look in, in Joshua, turn back to Joshua, it's right after, uh, uh, you have uh, Deuteronomy, and then, and then after we, Deuteronomy, you have uh, Joshua. Joshua chapter 15, you'll see that in verse 21, now the cities at the extremity of the tribe of the sons of Judah toward the border of Edom in the south were, and it starts naming all these cities, and then if you look down in 31, and Ziklag. And so Ziklag was one of the cities on the extreme southern border of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, was this city Ziklag. Now, interestingly enough, it was not Judeans that ended up living in this city. The folks that lived in that city were the were Simeonites. And so if you look at uh, Joshua chapter 19, Joshua chapter 19, verse 1, Then the second lot fell to Simeon, to the tribe of the sons of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was in the midst of the inheritance of the sons of Judah. And then if you look down in verse 5, and Ziklag. So, <coughs> Simeon did not have its own territory. Simeon was one of the twelve tribes. Simeon did not have its own territory. It had a section, it had different cities within the tribe of Judah. They didn't have their own territory, very much like the Levites never had their own territory. The Levites were giving, given cities throughout all the twelve tribes. They were given 
certain cities. They never had land of their own. And, and this is again underscored in First Chron- Chronicles chapter 4. talks about how Simeon had this city of Ziklag. This was one of their cities. So let's look back at Jacob's curse back in Genesis chapter 49. And you'll see why, uh, uh, why Simeon and Levi never had uh, uh, territory of their own other than cities buried within other tribal land. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 49 verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. So this is, this is the prayer of Jacob over his twelve sons. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel, nor let my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-willed they, lame, they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So this was a curse that the father put upon his two sons for their self-will in going out and killing an entire tribe of people that they lived amongst. So these two brothers, Simeon and Levi, were pretty nasty guys. And they ended up getting cursed by their father, and as a result, they never had a portion of the inheritance of the land. They were just given cities within other tribes. And if you look on a map... Of, of Simeon, you'll see a, a circle of Simeon within Judah, and you'll never see a, a border there. There's not a particular border because they were just given certain cities within Judah. And so it's interesting that, that this city of Ziklag was very much within the territory of what should have been controlled by Judah. Judah had taken <clears throat> that city at one point, but now the Philistines now had control of it, and it was this city that was given to David. Now, if you look, it says in verse 6 of, of 1 Samuel chapter 27, So Ashish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So this, again, is another one of those verses that tells us that this book was written many years after the events occurred. So the, the book of 1 Samuel was written at least 80 years after these events occurred. Because David was was 30 years old when he became king in Hebron, and then 37 when he became king of all of Israel, and he moved to Jerusalem, right on the border of Benjamin and and Jerusalem, and, and, and Benjamin and Judah in that city of Jerusalem. And so David was now 37 when he became king over all of Israel. David died at what age? Anybody know what age David was was when he died? He was 70. So David reigned uh, from the age of 37 to the age of 70 over all the tribes of Israel. So, so you, you've got that, that, uh, that 33 years. And then his son Solomon, Solomon started reigning at the age of 18, and Solomon died at the age of 59. Uh, he, had a, he had a life that was pretty wild, and it probably took some years off of his life. So he died at 59. So 18 to 59. So if you take David's years that he was king and Solomon's years that he was king, it was approximately 80 years between the two of them. Approximately 80 years the two of them reigned. It was under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, that there was a division. The land split. Ten tribes went in one direction and two tribes in another. You had a portion of Benjamin and Judah. That's all that went to Rehoboam. And that was called the kings of Judah at that point. 
So in other words, it was at least 80 years, it was at least 80 years after these events, probably a few more than that, and we don't know how many more than that, but at least 80 years, it might have been a, a, a hundred years, after the events that this book was written. And we, as, as Westerners and Americans, think, oh, well, then it, it can't be accurate. No, it can be extremely accurate. Because even within Israel today, there is the written document, the written law, and then there is the oral law. And the oral law has really been passed down very, very well. You say, well, no, it's like telling a story, you know, you whisper in one person's ear and then they whisper and it comes out different. No, it's very, very different than that. Many people couldn't read back then anyway, so it wasn't a big help. So these stories would be told very, very precisely over and over and over again. There were documents that were also written, but this was finally compiled at some point 80 plus years after the events, because it says, it talks about the kings of Judah. There were no kings of Judah. There was a king of Israel. David was appointed a king of Israel, as Saul had been king of Israel. So we know that this document was written at least 80 years after the events occurred. Isn't that interesting? Do you find that fascinating? It's amazing. I love this book. All right. So now David goes out, so he's living in Ziklag with his, with his, his, his family. And he lives amongst the Philistines a year and four months. So in verse 8, Now David and his men went and they raided the, the Geshurites and the Gerizites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from the ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive. And he took away the sheep and the cattle and the donkey, the camels and the clothing. Then he returned and he came to Ashish. Now Asha said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jehamilites and against the Negev of the Kenites. David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they will tell about us, saying, so has David done and so has, he been, has been his practice all the time that he's lived in the country of the Philistines. So Ashish believed David, saying he has surely made himself odious among the people Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. Okay, so what does David do? David goes out from Ziklag, this is his home base now, and they would go out and they would raid other people groups. And when they would raid these people groups, they wouldn't just take all their things, they would kill everybody, man, woman, and child. So they would kill everybody. So Ashish, the king, so then he'd go back to Gath with all this stuff and he'd give gifts to the king of Gath and share this thing. And, but he didn't leave anybody alive. So, you, you know, all he had was bleeding sheep and stuff. And they can't say, you know, you've got to see what David just did. So there's no people here to speak. And so Ashish says to King David, well, David wasn't king at that point, but he says to David, so where'd you get all this stuff? He says, oh, I'm, I've been raiding the southern portions of Judah, of Israel. You see, so he told lies. He said, I've been raiding the southern portion of Israel. And so Ashish says, this is great. So now he's made himself odious in the eyes of his own people. He will serve me forever. And very often you want it as your personal bodyguard. Who? You wanted expatriates. You wanted people outside your own community, outside your own country, because very often they could be more devoted people. As you see, uh, uh, just recently the, the governor of Punjab province in Pakistan was shot. 
Who shot him? His bodyguard. His bodyguard shot him because his bodyguard did not like one of the things that he was talking about, which was he was saying that this, this, this law that you have, that if a Muslim says about some other minority group that they blasphemed Muhammad, they can be killed. I mean, just on the word of a, of a Muslim. So he says, this is not a good rule because, because people are abusing it. So his bodyguard shot him. So bodyguards shoot people all the time that they're supposed to protect. This has happened a lot within history, even within our life, lifetimes. Uh, Indira Gandhi. Who shot Indira Gandhi? Her bodyguard. There you go. You know, so we, we can go through this. And, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, so, so this is what happens. Her bodyguard shot her. So he thought he now has a very devoted person. And in chapter 28, he, makes, he wants to appoint David as personal bodyguard. David and his men as personal bodyguard. But David is lying. David is actually invading not Philistines, but people groups, but he was never attacking Israel. He just said he was. So who, who was he attacking? Well, he was attacking the Gersherites, the, Ger, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. And he was actually just finishing up the job that Joshua had, and the judges had never finished. So, for example, if you look in Exodus chapter 17, in Exodus chapter 17, it says in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So there was a curse among the Amalekites, and finally the Amalekites were, were, were later on killed off, but they were still in existence uh, at that time. And then if you look in Joshua chapter 13, Joshua chapter 13, you see one of these other people groups that, that's named that uh, uh, they were supposed to have dealt with entirely. Joshua chapter 13, and reading from verse 13, it says, But the sons of Israel did not, dispose, did, did not dispossess the Gersherites or the Malachites, or the, for Gershur and Makath live among Israel until this day. So this is, book was written in Joshua's time or thereabout. And so these people were still living there. So David was, was actually cleaning up the job. Now, so it's hard to put our 2011 views upon someone who was living 1000 B.C., where David was living. So that was 3,000 years ago that this was happening. And I know we want to go, oh, oh. How could he have gone and killed man, woman, and child? He wasn't a very nice guy. He was a warrior, and he was really pretty tough. You know, cultures change. Things change. Let me give you an example of this. Our, our granddaughter was visiting over the holidays, and a friend of mine bought a gift for my granddaughter, and he bought a huge volume, which is all the combined books of Curious George. So who grew up having Curious George read to them? Okay, I grew up having Curious George read to me. That's how old that book is. <clears throat> so let me, <clears throat> let me tell you some things that are in that book that, um, that, <clears throat> that I found are not politically correct. And I was reading this to her, and my son Ben was cracking up. So, for example, it says, And George was taken away by a fat, a fat fireman. And shows this big fat fire. You can't comment on people's weight anymore. That is politically incorrect. 
George is sitting there in one of the stories smoking a cigar. You know, this is a children's book, and he's sitting there smoking a cigar. In one of the other stories, he finds a bottle of ether, and he sniffs it until he gets woozy and dizzy. And so, you know, this is, you know, sniffing chemicals. This could never pass as a children's book today. Uh, The man in the yellow hat says, we're going to take you out of this jungle and bring you to a nice zoo. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, you can't say that or you have people burning down your house for things like this. It says that, uh, oh yeah, George was so embarrassed that he about wished he were dead. I mean, you talk about suicide among children. Here, George was so embarrassed he wished he were dead. I mean, this is, this is, uh, this would never happen in a children's book today. They have to be more sanitized. So this is a book that was written somewhere about 60 years ago. So you see how cultures change. In, in one of the stories, there's a, there's a newsstand and there's a dog urinating on the corner of the newsstand in this Curious George book. So things change within cultures. So culturally, there were differences. There are differences that change. So I'll give you another example. You know, when I grew up, we always had three dogs. You know, when one dog would die, we'd get another dog. So I grew up, we always had three dogs in the home. I never picked up dog poo unless it was in the house. And then, you know, get a shovel or something and pick this thing up. That that people walk around today with their little doggy bags picking up this thing. This didn't used to happen, right, Mrs. Harrison? This never happened. Never happened. In fact, your dogs went wherever they went and you just left it there. You just left it there. And so you were stepping in this stuff all the time. You know, you'd walk out of your house and it's... You step in stuff all over the place, but you never picked up after your dog. It looks so odd to me. Even to this day, I'm looking, you know, a person's carrying around their dog's poop. It, it's just strange to me. We never did this. And then later on, as I got older, there, were, there was a campaign, Curb Your Dog. That meant at least don't let them do it on the sidewalk. Do it right by the street. That, that, was, that was the thing to do. So things changed. Now, if, if, you know, if, if your dog goes and you just you know, leave that there and walk away. I mean, people are going to beat you up or something over that. You know, traditions, things change. So, cultures change. Uh, And this is actually what they were prescribed to do. Now, this sort of thing very much happens today, too. I mean, there are complete annihilations of, of villages. This happens today. It's just that in our very pristine society, we don't like to think about this, but, but it happens all the time. And, and uh, so David lies now to Ashish. So David lies to Ashish and says, you know, I, I really wasn't, uh, you, you, you know, this is all from, from raining on the, on the land of Israel. So is it okay to lie? Well, some people will say this is really subterfuge. This is in a time of war. And, and, you know, I'm not going to judge any soldiers because I'm not stuck in, in, in that situation. That's a rough situation. And I've heard stories. I heard an interview of a guy who would single-handedly, he, would, he was able to, to get groups of Japanese right at the end of the war as the war was ending in some of these islands. He could get whole groups of Japanese soldiers to, to uh, uh, lay down their arms. And what he would do, they, would, they were hiding in, the, in, the, uh, in these caves in these islands. And this young guy, he was only about 19 years old, he spoke Japanese. He was an American that had had foreign exchange students in his home growing up from Japan. And he had learned 
some broken Japanese, and he would shout into these caves, and he'd tell them to come out in Japanese, and he'd tell them he'd take care of them, and he said that there is a marine behind every one of the trees out here, and he was going to send in the flamethrowers if they didn't come out. Because that's actually the way that they would clean out these caves. Guys would go in with flamethrowers and everything in the cave would, would, would burn up. This is what happened after World War II. And the men would lay down their arms and they'd come marching out and he'd say, there's a Marine behind every tree. And he'd just follow them and bring them right on into the camp. And this guy single-handedly would get large groups of Japanese soldiers. So this again was subterfuge. It was something that was happening in war. And we can look at it in that way. But let's bring it back to Is it okay to tell lies like this in our lives where we live? You know, I'm not going to judge the soldier. I'm not going to judge spies. I respect the work that they do. But we can't bring this home. Because what happens is, if we get in a pattern of of deception, it really starts messing things up in our lives. really does. So I want to reflect on this a little bit as we start thinking about, about... about this, this sort of pattern. Let's turn to, to Proverbs. So we'll spend a lot of time in this, uh, in, in this portion in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs chapter 3. And there's this beautiful portion that, that I've worked on and I've memorized. But in Proverbs chapter 3, I've actually worked on memorizing this entire proverb because it's, it's that good. But Proverbs chapter 3 says, Reading from verse 1, My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Okay, so what what does the writer say to us? He says, I want you to remember this. And if you remember this, this is what's going to happen in your life. Length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. Your life will be longer and you will have more peace. How many people want to have less peace in their lives? Okay, So not a lot of people want to have less peace. So we all want to have peace in our lives. This is an important thing to have. He says, I'm about to tell you some things that will give you peace in your life. This is a beautiful thing. Because this is a promise that within marriage you can have peace. There are some marriages that are like hell on earth. And people will come in and they'll start sharing their stories. And you're like, wow. I'm glad I don't have to live in that house. I mean, it's just, just miserable. He's giving us secrets on how we can be free of that. Here's what he says, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So he says the first thing, don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. We have to bind them around our necks and write them on the tablet of my heart, meaning that I have to renew this over and over again to be truthful. You know, some, uh, I, I think the NIV translates this as, as mercy or something, but both the King James and, and, and uh, New American Standard, neither of these being a, a paraphrase, has translated this as, as truth. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. You know, I had a, a, a professor at Texas A&M who was actually a, 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 a former postdoc of mine. And I was visiting him a year or so ago. And he says, 
says, how do you do it? I said, do what? He says, everybody likes you. You know, all your, your, your colleagues, they like you. Professors like you. All over the country, they like you. How do you do this? And, you know, it, it's easier to take that for granted. But it's true, you know, it's, it's hard to be liked by lots of professors, because professors are really moody people, and real competitive. And, and, you know, I think about this, but I have a lot of friends. A lot of people like me, and I'm not that nice of a guy either. It's just, this is what it says. If you have kindness and truth, if you speak truthfulness, you will find favor in the sight of God and in the sight of men. I mean, just being finding favor in the sight of God is worth a lot. But you will find favor in the sight of God and in the sight of men. So God is going to bless you if you walk in truth. I had a woman who sent me an email and she called me yesterday in my office. She's heading an organization that's, to, that's to, going to try to bring integrity. And uh, she says, you know, there's cheating in universities, there's cheating in academia, and she's a former professor herself, and all this goes on. And, and we got to talking, and I said, y- you know what really helps me in this? Is the fear of God. If I cheat, God will no longer bless me. The blessings won't be there if I cheat. You know, I tell students, don't cheat in your research work. Please don't cheat. I mean, you can lie about it. You can, but what's going to happen is we lose blessing. And then if it's found out to be false and we published a paper, people aren't going to remember you. It's going to come back on me. Just like, you know, all the good things when we publish a paper, even though the student does all the work, I get all the credit. Well, the flip side of that is if it's found out to be falsified, you know, <laughs> you know, people remember me for, for that. But what happens is you lose out blessings. You lose out on blessings. So, so for example, um, you know, w- when I started my group over 20 years ago, we, we would have computers and I'd buy a separate pack, package of software for each computer. And back then, the, the software programs were not that sophisticated. They didn't know that it had been loaded on a different computer. Now it's a lot more sophisticated. You could buy one set and put it on 100 computers. It didn't know. Computers didn't talk to each other. And so uh, uh, I would buy a separate set of software, and my colleague said to me, what are you doing? I said, this is what you have to do. It says right on it that it's for one computer. You get get this computer, this license with this software. And, uh, um, you know, they just shake their heads and look at me like I'm crazy to spend all this money. But you know what would happen? Near the end of the year, near the end of the fiscal year, I'd get calls from the granting agencies where a program director would say, we have some extra cash in our program. Can you use it? You know, just blessings just dropped on me. I credit Microsoft for some of my early success. Because they had these very strict regulations that I couldn't put on on multiple computers and I would buy a separate set for every computer, I got great blessing for this. I found favor in the eyes of God and man. When we do this, we find favor in the eyes of God and man. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, you've got to hear this song, and they'll, they'll, you know, take this song from a CD they own and burn me a CD and give it to me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to take this thing. And they take it and they say, thank you very much. They go home and they throw it out. I don't want something that I'm not allowed to have. I don't want to have software on my computers. And I've told my students, don't take any of our computers in this lab and put your own stuff on there. And, you know, it happens all the time. And I have to remind them, I don't like it. 
Jasmine, have you ever heard me tell students this? Yeah, I don't like it. You know, because students... Yeah. Yeah, I say, if we need software, let me know. I will buy it. There's great blessing in buying software. <laughs> you know, I will buy it. I don't, want, I don't want editions of software that we haven't paid for. Because I don't want to lose God's blessing. I don't want to lose it. This is what it says. If you bind truth around your neck, God will look at you favorably, and so will other people. You win so much when you walk uprightly. And I told her, I said, you know, you must have a tough organization. I don't know how you get this through to people without the fear of God. Look look at uh, uh, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. You know, if you fear God and turn away from evil, this is evil. You say, well, you know, everybody does it. Everybody does evil. Turn away from it. We are supposed to be different. If we're not different, what are we doing? We're supposed to be different. The expectations on us are higher than the expectations on people of the world. It's hard to get this through to the people of the world. There's no fear of God. Do it in my life. I just want God to get hold of my heart. If you fear God... It says, fear God, in verse 7, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body. This is what it says, it will be healing to your body. God will keep me from getting a sickness because of this. You say, oh, that's silly. It's not silly. This is what it says. You believe the word of God or don't you? If you don't believe it, tear it out. It's just, it doesn't matter anyway, right? You just tear that page out if you don't believe it. It says, you will, he will heal your body. That doesn't mean that you'll never get sick. It means that you will save yourself a lot of sicknesses that you would have gotten. If you fear God and turn away from evil, it will be re- and it will be it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. You know, you you you'll save ten years from osteoporosis or something. You know, you you God will keep the teeth in your in your head longer. Something will happen. God will do this if you walk in honesty. This is what it says. Are we going to believe it? Then he says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your your vats will overflow with new wine. So he says, when you're generous, when you're generous, you get so much more. You say, well, God drops it from heaven. I've never seen that. But you know what happens is to people who are generous, they have a different demeanor about them. And what happens is people... Want to help you out. Every, every break we get in life comes from people that are opening doors for us. Things that happen. God controls people, but also people see in our own eyes. You know, you can have it hyper-spiritual that God has opened this door and that happens. Or you can say that people just like to be around other people that are generally happy. I hate working with students and postdocs that every day there's another complaint. You know, oh, Dr. Tor, this is that, this is that. It's like, would you someday come to my office with some good news? There must be something good that you could come with. I'd really love to hear you say something good for once. Isn't there anything in the group that's good? Anything in your research that's good that you can talk about? You know, I want to hear something good. 
if all I hear are problems all the time, I just, I just want to cut myself off from that person. I don't want to hear them. This same thing happens wherever you go. If you think I'm unique in this, I'm not. Every employer is like this. And when you give, it changes your attitude about life. You're generally a more generous person. You're kind of happier. So I was give me the best money. I'm not going to give you a nickel. No, you're generally happier. And what happens is it opens up new doors for you. People that are generous with their things. It opens up new doors for you. This is true. These things happen in the Word of God. Turn to... uh, um, Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. It's a beautiful verse. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. The foolish man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. So my stupidity ruins my life. And then what do I do? I complain to God. The foolish man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. This is what happens. It is our own stupidity, our own selfishness. Our own lying that gets us into trouble. And then we get upset with God. God, why did you do this to me? Why did you do this? God said, don't don't look at me. I have nothing to do with that. It's you. Turn to, right after Proverbs, you have this book, Ecclesiastes. And, And Solomon goes, you know, saying all sorts of wild things in Ecclesiastes. And, uh, but he sums up the whole thing. Sums it up right at the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is, fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, which is hidden, whether it is good or or evil. Now, how could that scripture ever be f- fulfilled? I mean, we're not going to be kept out of heaven because of things that we might do if we're in Jesus Christ. But there are ramifications for the things that we do, and boy, it can make our lives miserable. But the conclusion is this. Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to all men. So we see the life of David, we see the subterfuge, we see the lying. But I'll tell you, David was a man after God's own heart, but his life, we're going to see some real misery that also came in his life. And what we want to be able to do is learn the good things and emulate them, and learn the bad things and avoid them. See with the bad things that took place and avoid them. It is much better to walk in honesty. And you know what happens when you walk in honesty? When you walk in honesty, you meet honest people who appreciate this and you end up marrying like honest people and you have an honest marriage where honest things you know, happen in marriage. So there's, there's this trust and this bond and this union and marriage can be a blessing, just a tremendous blessing. Or it can be hell on earth. And it's how we're going to set this thing up. Are we going to fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to all men? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. And Father, I pray that you get a hold of our hearts to not let kindness and truth leave us. Father, to walk in truth.
Father, I pray that you would take these young people and cause them to walk in truth, to fear God and keep His commandments. Because, Lord, you see everything that is hidden and you will bring it to judgment, whether good or evil. Everything that is hidden. And so, Father, I pray, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Father, cause me to walk uprightly in honesty, honestly in my work, in my dealings with people. Father, forgive me for my shortcomings. And I pray the same for these young people. Father, that they would not start out their lives with the baggage that can so bind up their lives so that they'd end up complaining to you about the misery of their lives. But Father, that they would not ruin or trash their lives by doing what the world does. Father, your mercies be upon them and the grace of God be upon them. And Father, I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.